And welcome back, everybody. We continue right here on the Big Talker 1700. Always fun when we get a chance to hang out for a little while with ESPN's Zuba Mahente. And when we thought we weren't going to have a lot to discuss locally today, Zubin, we got two big stories dropped in our lap. You worked here. You have knowledge of the Primetime League, and you have knowledge of the Big Four Classic as well. The Big Four Classic will play this this year, and then it's done. And the Primetime League, after 31 years, has been canceled, and it is done. Uh, just your thoughts, uh, Zubin, on I, I guess it's just the way the world is now, right? Yeah, I don't really understand the inner workings of why something like the Primetime League would be canceled. Now, when I was over there in North Liberty, now this was a million years ago, I left the morning in 2005, I always thought it was one of the most highly anticipated moments of the summer. I think in some ways you could say, you guys would know better than I, Trent, probably you'd know better than all three of us. In some ways it spawned the Cap City League because mm-hmm. I think every time we would go to the Primetime League, you know, John, John Walters, my boss, would send me out there and, I was there when, like, Jeff Horner was there before he got to Iowa, you know, that summer before, um, you know, after Mason City, but before he became a Hawkeye. place was packed. I covered Adam Holeska there. I covered so many great players there. And I think we always came back to Central Iowa when we drive back off, off I-80 and be like, why don't we have something like this here? Like, I mean, you know what I mean? And it was just, I think it spawned it. I just remember that being so anticipated. There was a time trend, this may still happen, I remember we would go over for, like, an Iowa football game at one point during the season. Of course, we'd cover them all. And, like, uh, the Saturday morning, let's say Iowa played Saturday afternoon or later, um, there would always be one Saturday morning where there would be, like, an unofficial Iowa basketball scrimmage going on inside Carver Hawkeye. And mm-hmm. that generated an unbelievable amount of buzz. So I'm not exactly sure why that's the case. As you know, Trent, I mean, high school sports is a huge deal in Iowa. I mean, I remember when Jeff Horner – came to came down and played a couple games in the metro i mean the gyms were like packed like you couldn't get in it was unbelievable and now i see you know jeff's got himself a head coaching job and you know i saw this the other day you would you would appreciate this trend um you know it just shows you how much if i'm not mistaken you tell me if i'm wrong i saw a story that you know i just remember him going from iowa state to iowa being such a great track athlete we covered him at the relays and he was a really great player for both schools i thought I saw that he is now a member of the school board in, like, Solis. So it's just one of those things you got to wake up and be like, that's right, these guys do grow up and become adults like everybody else. But I just kind of remember them for what they were, and a lot of that comes down to what they did at the PTL. Yeah, I, I know uh, a part that Randy Larson, who ran the PTL for the last 31 years, he talked about is the amount of work down that college athletes are able to do with the coaching staff during the summer. 30 years ago when this thing started, that wasn't the case. Coaches couldn't watch them, couldn't see them during the summertime for workouts and the like, and and this is a way to to at least have them in some kind of structured environment, but with more and more work being put in individually with coaches, trying to get guys to come back and play. You know, for years, you'd see Daryl Moore still out there pounding. I remember B.J. Armstrong coming back after he was an NBA oh, player, yeah. played the game, and he scored 72 in a primetime league game. <laughs> you know, th- those days are no more. You don't see the guys coming back like they once did, and, and I'm sure that's a portion here. It's an end of an era, but adapt or die, Zubin. It doesn't matter what line of work you're in, and, and I know you, I'm sure, hear the kind of things like that at ESPN. You always have to be adapting, and, and this is another one, at least as it pertains to college athletics. Yeah, I would agree. I agree with everything you just said. 
Um, obviously, there's a proclivity now where, you know, back in the old days when you mentioned like DJ or other things, I mean, it sounds silly, but guys weren't like training every day and they weren't mm-hmm. eating right and we didn't have the technology we had. So, you know, just getting out there in the PTL was basically as silly as and, you know, archaic as this sounds. That's like getting out there and getting some work in, getting some conditioning in. And now we were, you know, what, like we're just like a week away from the draft. And, you know, if you're not working out every single day, it's like a huge demerit. Whereas back in the day, if you were playing in the PTL, that was like staying in shape. So it's just amazing how much time has evolved. And you're right. That may have been seen like it's a feather in your cap. He's staying active by playing in the PTL. But now you play in the PTL. And look, I mean, it, this, you can get injured playing anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're going to get injured, I'd rather yeah. have you get injured at Carver Hawkeye or Hilton with our doctors out there and us playing in structured environments. Look, you go up for a slam dunk anywhere on a playground or, or you know, the Jacobson, but wherever you go up for a dunk, it's one of those things where you can come down. But I just generally believe that with these guys sometimes seen as commodities instead of people because of what they mean to a school in terms of their value, coaches are also very protective and are saying, I don't want you running out there with a bunch of old high school players or guys that, you know, finished up at UNI and are still looking for a thrill out there. I want, I want you guys to be playing in a structured environment with us where I trust everyone around them. I don't think that's the right thing to say, but I also think you're protecting an investment, and sometimes the best way to do that is to do it under your auspices. And when you put a guy in the Cap City League or the Primetime League, you're really putting them in someone else's hands. Zubin Mahente is our guest right here on the Big Talker 1700. Uh, Zubin, the other major story, of course, was the end of the Big Four Classic. You were gone, and then they instituted this because Iowa and Iowa State decided that they were not going to play at UNI or at Drake. They weren't going to play any more home-and-homes. They will play this year, and that will be the end of the Big Four And it appears now that because of the 20-game Big Ten schedule, that Iowa is sort of using that as the focal point. But the so-called czar of college non-conference scheduling, my esteemed colleague Trent Condon, if they Ah. schedule more Savannah States and more Bryants, the guy is going to blow a gasket, Trent. (laughs) Well, I mean, I would say, I mean, he's, I mean, he does play by play. He hosts two shows, and he's a czar. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> unbelievable. But I, yeah, I know Mike Patello is probably, you know, yeah. But Patello, I believe, is copyrighted. Yeah, he yes. also come up with something better. Okay. Than no, um, I was just saying, I, I think in that regard, and this is my general belief on this because I've been following the Big Four Classic since it had been instituted. But I, I think yes, you could use the twenty-game Big Team slate. I think that is. That's a real applicable concern. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, to use that as an excuse, I mean, I think the word excuse is always connotated in some sort of negative fashion as if to say, wait, wait, but. But I think this is actually legitimate. I think at the end of the day, and I don't think, I wouldn't even overthink this one. At the end of the day, and I don't mean to say this in, in any sort of, uh, you know, uh, negative way, but this is not a 25-25-25-25 partnership, Right. The minute Iowa and Iowa State decided this is just not advantageous for us, there's really no upside for us. There were numerous times, again, it was a million years ago, when I was working there, where Iowa State would go up to the Unidome and you're like, they're going to lose this game. (laughs) They are going to lose this game. And they had like Stinson and Blaylock. I mean, they had some dudes, you know, as we call them, they had some dudes. They're like, they're not going to win this game. And I was going to be in trouble. Um, But at the end of the day, it's Iowa and Iowa State largely controlling the situation. 
And as much as I know, Trent, you have a love for you and I, and Drake's the closest school to where you guys do your show, um, they have a disproportionate amount of power in this situation. It's really no different than what we're dealing with in college football. I mean, Boise State is a great team, but as long as they're not in the Power Five, it just doesn't really matter how much influence they think they have. They don't have much. And I think that's what this is coming down to. This is an Iowa and Iowa State thing. Um, the majority of tickets are sold to see Iowa and Iowa State, for sure, even though you could argue that Iowa is further away from Des Moines as any of these schools in terms of selling tickets. And to me, they're the heavy hit. They have the hammer. And when those two schools don't want to be a part of this, with all due respect to Drake and you and I, I'm not really sure Drake and you and I can do anything about it. I'm sure they'd like it to be a more egalitarian, sort of equitable situation. But that's not how this stuff comes together. And if the two heavies decide we're out, I'm not really sure the other two teams have enough juice to do anything about it, honestly. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And, you know, we've been trying to think of ways to doctor this up and and have it stay in some kind of capacity. It's going to be difficult, but at least hopeful that maybe something can be taken away from this and maybe it means inviting you know other schools in and instead of the teams playing each other i was playing creighton and iowa state's playing missouri and you and i's taking on a decent mid-major and drake the same maybe you could come up with something like that but that's the thought down the road zoob and i, I did want to ask you i know uh you'd mentioned to us right before we went on the air today that you're going to be doing a whole lot more in the NFL scene uh, coming up this year. But college football did have uh, a couple of announcements in college sports in general. A couple of rule changes yesterday that were instituted, including players being able to play upwards of four games during their freshman season, yet maintain their red shirt status. The NCAA doing something right? What's going on here? Yeah, you know, Todd Berry, who for a long time was the executive director of the American Football Coaches Association, he also coached Army for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's been pushing this for many, many, many years, upwards of about 17 years in some way. And obviously, as you know, I mean, you know, insert joke here, it does take a while to get rules changes passed. 17 years seems pretty crazy. But this one passed, and to your point, Trent, I totally agree with you. This one passed because I think it's absolutely win-win. Do you know what I mean? There's really no downside. This should have been passed long ago. Now, the difference is you've got to really change the scope. I mean, in some cases, as you know, one snap can burn the red shirt. Now, obviously, if there's a medical hardship within four games, you could go for the medical hardship waiver. In this particular situation, it could just be your point, play four games, and then you're ready to go. But I think what a lot of times what happens is there's just depth. I mean, as there's so many, you know, I mean, how many running backs does Iowa go through in a season? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where if you come to camp and you're 147 pounds and by – October or early November, you're 187 pounds, and suddenly you're much more apt to go out there, then coaches are going to be much less hesitant to burn that red shirt. A lot of it was just, we don't want to burn it because this guy's our future guy. We have a workhorse back. But a lot of it is just, at the end of the day, coaches are saying to themselves, Trent, wait a minute, this guy is uber talented. (laughs) We have five wins. We have three games left. I, I need to get to a bowl, which means six or seven or eight wins to keep my job, and I have an uber-talented guy that somebody else is going to play next year when I'm not here? <laughs> like, i got to play this guy. It's best for this guy to get out there. It's best for our fans. It's best for our program. And it's best for me because I need this guy to perform because I need to succeed and I don't have to worry about burning this guy's red shirt or ruining this guy's eligibility. So it's win-win. There is one important caveat, which is to say if somebody does 
enroll early in a school, let's say you get like a, a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, a guy that just looks so ready to go on day one, it's unreal. Um, there is a provision in here that would preclude that person from playing in the ball game. So you can't do like an early enrollee and then jump up at the team, do the ball practices, and play in the ball game. So there are some, some safeguards in place, but in large part, this is great for the student-athlete. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, maybe it's naive, that's how all the decisions should be made. But at the end of the coach, it's good for the players, it's good for the school. And you're right, I'm just surprised it took this long to get there. They probably were haggling over the number of games. I mean, you're talking about a third of the season, right? I mean, you're talking four games, is like a third of the season. You're going from one snap to allowing it to be one-third of the actual campaign. So maybe that held it up. But in the end, I think it's the right call. Zub Mahente, our guest from ESPN here on the Big Talker, Jimmy B and TC Show. All right, Zubin, some national things quickly. The U.S. Open Golf Championship is being played right now at Shinnecock Hills. Uh, it is windy. Uh, the golfers, for the most part, are just struggling to pretty much be even par. Are you a fan of having the course like this, or are you a fan of a regular course where guys can go 10 or 12 under par for the tournament? I like the former, Jim, and I'll tell you why. I like it once a year, and I know the popular opinion is now these guys look like we all do kind of thing, but I think there is something about the notion of if you want to go really low, I mean, you could do that at the Masters, right? I mean, you could go low at most tour events during the year. So I don't think there's anything wrong with once a year asking the best in the world to be put up against it. Obviously, you're going to get an 80 like you had with Rory today, but I believe Ricky was just three over. He's right in the hunt. So in my opinion, I like it. I don't like it in large doses because at the end of the day, large doses of this would frustrate the players. And at the end of the day, you don't want frustrated players, top players in the world being frustrated uh, going from week to week. I think one test of ultimate skill, endurance, golf course management, your mental makeup is great. I don't think you want to see it all over the place. And there are plenty of other opportunities scattered throughout the tour from other majors to the WGC championships to the silly season where plenty of guys can go low, make a ton of money, and be happy with where they're living under par, as the tour likes to say. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having one event like this every single year. I don't think you want to make it more than that because you don't want to draw the ire of the players. The PGA is a pretty good relationship with its players. There's a little drug testing issues here and there, but generally speaking, I don't think the players are upset over much. You want to keep them happy. But at the same token, you want to see something a little bit different and unique. And so I think it's totally fine to do it one time per year. Zubin, final thing from me. The World Cup started up this morning with Russia throttling in their opening round matchup. Now, ESPN doesn't have the rights and, and frankly, a little disappointing because well, ESPN does it right with an event like that. I just like having it flipping over to 206 on my Rockstar satellite, and I'm ready to roll. But, Zubin, as, as you guys you know, kind of are coming up with your summer plans, how big of a part compared to what it was when you had the event with the ESPN banner will the World Cup be with your summer uh, programming? Yeah, I think it's just 100% contingent on the United States. I think if the United States was in it, even though it's on Fox and ESPN, it had every World Cup on ABC and ESPN since 1994, there would have been considerable coverage. I don't think it's a stretch to say the two most prominent, well-known athletes in the world are both soccer players 
uh, and that's Ronaldo and Messi. I don't think there's any argument to be made. I don't think LeBron's in their class. I don't think Tom Brady's in their class. I don't think Tiger Woods is in their class. I mean, I think you could you could drop put a hell you could put a uh, you could put a uh, a parachute on Ronaldo and Messi and drop them anywhere in the world out of a helicopter, like anywhere in the world out of a helicopter, <laughs> and within like two minutes everybody would know who they are. Like somebody would recognize them within two minutes on any continent anywhere. And I think that reason alone is part of the reason that we're going to continue to cover this. Both guys are in it. Iceland's got a great story. They're tiny. The Russia story is interesting. Brazil is always interesting to watch. And I think the other thing that we generally have taken hold of at ESPN, and I think many people have taken a hold of, and I see this all the time in my local mall. Like, I don't know if you see this at, like, you know, West, uh, you know like Jordan Creek or something, but, like, there's as many Messi and Ronaldo jerseys as there are Curry jerseys on kids when you see them at the mall. And I would just say that, generally speaking, this country is made up of people from other countries, for the most part. And in most other countries, though not all, you know, India, you know, Canada, Scandinavian countries, Russia might be an exception, although obviously they are the host. Um, soccer is the number one sport in the world. And if this country is made up of people from other countries, and in most other countries, soccer is number one, it just stands to reason that we should continuously push it. Uh, for that reason and that reason alone, because there's enough eyeballs of people that are one with soccer. If we were in it, it would be huge. And I think when we get to 2026, who knows what the world will look like in 2026, but we'll have it back on our home soil. Christian Pulisic, who is maybe the best U.S. player that's ever come out of the system, will probably pass Landon Donovan. I think he'll be 27 years old in 2026. He'll be in the prime of his career, arguably the best player we've ever produced. Again, that's so far off, who knows. But I just think with the U.S. being out of it, it has tamped down our coverage. I don't think it has too much to do with us not having it. I think there's some aspect of that trend for sure. But I think the bigger deal is that we're not in it, and that has probably mitigated some of our coverage because while they're great stories, like Mexico has not gotten out of the round of 16 since 1994. They cannot get to the quarterfinals. Great story. But it doesn't resonate the way the U.S. would. So in my opinion, that's the big thing. U.S. isn't in, and maybe that's not why we're in as much. I'm with you on that, Zubin. Uh, people ask me, they say, are you going to be watching golf? Are you going to be watching soccer? The only thing that I found entertaining about that soccer was the uh, opening entertainment where the singer flipped off everybody into the camera. That made my day, so I turned the game off and went right to golf. Welcome to 2018, Jim. You can't watch anything without getting angry at somebody at some point. Just to, so as I said, who knows what the deal will be in 2026. That's a sure sign we're in 2018. Uh, the pregame is more interesting than the game, like the Vegas Golden Knights, and I'm coming to the game angry about something. So we're definitely in 2018 there. <laughs> good Zubin, stuff. it's always good, Zubin. Thank you, pal. Thank you, Zubin. Have a great day and a great weekend. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Zubin Mahenta, ESPN. Trent, I don't know if you caught that or not, but for me, that, that just made the soccer thing between Russia and Saudi Arabia. Uh, when Is it Robbie, what's his name? Robbie Robin? No, Robbie, I don't know, whatever his name is. Uh, the singer, he looks right in the camera and just flips everybody the bird. Okay. All right, I see where this is going. I'm on to golf now. That was that was it for me. That's all you needed. Well, we all we need on the other side is to get an answer from Ken Silverstein. Where's LeBron going? You think he's got an answer <laughs> for us, Jimmy B? God, I I wish somebody would because this is going to play out for the next several weeks, and that we'll be so tired of talking about it. It's unbelievable. All right. <laughs>
That's what we're going to do. Ken Silverstein is on the way, everybody, right here on the Big Talker 1700. Welcome back, everybody. We continue all the way to the top of the hour. Jimmy B and TC right here on the Big Talker 1700. Time to bring in Ken Silverstein. Based out of Cleveland, our Big Ten Conference Insider, NBA guru as well, and close follower of the LeBron James Watch as well. Ken, welcome. And before we get into where we're going to guess LeBron may end up, let's start first with what took place. Uh, I think all of us were hoping at least for a five-game series. We didn't get it. Uh, the Cavs get swept, uh, pretty much just a whimper in in game four, and I'm sure that left a uh, nasty taste in everybody's mouth in your neck of the woods. Yeah, the morning continues, and I don't mean morning like uh daylight i'm talking morning meaning funeral time and um it pretty much continues uh, a week from today is the nba draft and that'll get everybody uh in this part of the world a little bit of pump they got the eighth pick we'll see what they do um i personally feel on uh, next thursday night will be very important because i think you'll get an idea of what they're thinking or what they think lebron james is going to do meaning if they stay put my guess is if they stay put, um, they are beginning the rebuild and are thinking possibly that he is scooting. If they um, trade the pick for a veteran player, we'll call that door number two, then I think they're getting the vibe that maybe they think he might stay and not knowing who they might get in a, quote, potential trade for the eighth pick. And door number three, and I'm not sure this would occur, with a package, Kevin Love, five-time All-Star, and the eighth pick for either a better veteran player to entice LeBron or maybe they try to get really slick and try to get both doors walked through, and that would be to get a veteran player and a lower draft pick, meaning something maybe in the, I don't know, maybe in the 20s, mid to late 20s, uh, in a potential deal. So um, I think we're going to know a little bit more. I don't think we're going to know uh, where we can circle the bases, but I think we'll have a smidgen better of an idea come, oh, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock next Thursday night uh, Central Time. Ken, as you know, I, I keep an eye on the uh, the betting windows out there as it's coming closer <laughs> and closer to be legalized in our state. And before then, I look offshore the odds continue to swing the way of the Lakers. They are now the favorite, have been the favorite, but now minus 200 is the betting odds. Ken, the Lakers, the forefront winner in your mind, or are they? do they have the inside track? You know, it's interesting with the Lakers. I mean, in a lot of ways it makes a lot of sense. The, the reputation, the tradition, maybe a better way of saying it, the tradition of the Lakers, the banners, um, Magic Johnson's there. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, even though he can't play, obviously, but he's there. His, his presence is there. He's an executive with the club. The lifestyle, obviously, is uh, enticing to a, many uh, current and past NBA players. But I don't know. Um, unless he can take somebody else along with him, like a Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, whatever, Personally, I don't think he's that good a place to go. Um, I, I don't, except for Kuzma, I don't like the young talent. I don't like the bickering that's going on right now. 
uh, between Ball and other players on the roster. I particularly don't like Ball's dad and his uh, situation and influence on his kid and on the organization. And if I know anything about LeBron, I know anything about him, he don't like trouble. He don't like craziness. He don't like any of that stuff. He likes things very docile, very GQ, whatever you want to call it, and that ain't going on in L.A. And unless they get rid of Ball, I'm still not, I think it's going to be a hell of a sales job to convince him to go to L.A. Now, I guess it's possible, and the smart money boys and girls think that's the way to go. Personally, if I'm LeBron and I'm going to leave, I'm going to area code 713, and that's Houston, Texas, because of Chris Paul, arguably his best friend in the NBA. Some guy named The Beard is there. They came this close to beating Golden State. Yes. Uh, do they have to move some things around? Is it going to be difficult to get the deal done? Cap-wise, yes. It's going to be very difficult, but not impossible. Nearly impossible, but not impossible. So personally, if I was in his inner circle, as attractive as some people might think L.A. is, I would stay away. And if I was going to leave, I would go to uh, Houston. We'll see what he does. I think we'll know... Today is, what, the 14th of June? If, if we don't know by the 14th of July, I will be shocked. Last time he did it was on July 10th. I don't think it's going to take um, to the 14th of July. So I think we'll know once July 1st rolls around, I think we'll know around the 10th, the 9th, the 10th, 11th, somewhere in that window would be, um, if I was a betting man, when the, quote, almighty decision will be announced. Ken Silverstein is our guest. We're talking NBA to begin with right now with Ken. Ken, it's uh, interesting, and you reference the draft, and the news comes out about Michael Porter canceling his workouts, uh, and he had his hip examined, and apparently the doctor cleared him with what I have just seen. If that's the case, and he may reschedule workouts, Look, uh, he was a guy who was tapped at one time to maybe even be the number one pick in the draft. Now, that's not going to happen. But if he continues to fall in the draft, would that be someplace that Cleveland would take a serious look at? Yeah, if he's there at eight and the medical people here, and that would be the Cleveland Clinic, would make that decision. Um, if their folks go thumbs up and he's at eight, they would take him because he can score and he's got size and as Jim is hinting at prior to the uh, the back issues prior to the University of Missouri situation he was thought to be the best player um, coming out and uh, a lot of folks thought he would have been the number one pick so if you can get quote number one value at the eighth pick um, it's it's a gamble it's a gamble because of the the, the, the medical situation but if they think he's good and he's there, uh, then I think they would take him. My guess, and this is a week out, oh, my goodness. Again, this is so tricky because they don't know what LeBron's going to do. Um, the, the simplistic answer, they will take the best player. Um, but I, I think if Colin Sexton is there from Alabama, they will take him. If Bridges is there from Villanova, I think they will seriously consider him. I think the guy they want Okay, of everybody is Jalen Jackson uh, out of Michigan State. One, because they think he's going to be a great player. And two, 
because the owner's a Michigan State guy and loves Michigan State people and hit Tom Izzo. And um, so I think if Jackson's there, but he won't be there. He will be gobbled up uh, definitely in the top five and probably more like uh, the top four. So he would be the guy if he'd slipped to eight, but I don't see it. So Sexton, Porter, Bridges out of Villanova, maybe Carter out of Duke would all be, quote, viable candidates for the Cavaliers at eight. Um, I think all four of those guys will go somewhere between probably six and ten, give or take. So uh, we'll see. But I think the top four are pretty much in cement at this point. Uh, The order might be a little funky, but I think the top four guys are pretty obvious at this point. So over from the NBA, Ken, to jumping into college football, our Big Ten insider, and uh, I see yesterday a couple of injuries along the defensive line to Wisconsin. One of the players lost for the season. The other one, they're hopeful maybe can give them something by the time we get to the end of the year. They've been chugging along at a high pace the last three seasons. Is this a step back year for the Badgers? Could, could it be finally happening? Paul Christ and company taking a step back to everybody else in the Big Ten West. Well, it's going to hurt them a little bit. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but they're, again, fortunate because they're in the West and not in the East. So geographically, they're, they're helped a whole bunch at this point. Second of all, they got the returning quarterback. You know, I'm not the biggest fan that you're going to find because I don't like his arm strength at all. And two, they got Taylor at running back, and he's a, he's a stud. And um, if he's not the best returning running back in the Big Ten, he's right there at the very, very uh, near top of the list at this point. So, yeah, and look, they, they somehow find people. I mean, they just they find these kids, they coach them up, they do a real nice job uh, from that perspective. So I think it hurts them, but unless the Iowas, the Northwesterns, and I think those would be the two prime candidates uh, can really make a run at them. And on paper, they might. Um, I want to see it before I get too giddy about it. I'll say one other thing. Look at Wisconsin ESPN today. You guys probably saw it. They had a piece on the 10 easiest non-conference schedules of college football. And there are the Badgers. Right there, baby. <laughs> right there. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Uh, I, you know, come on. Could you just play somebody? I mean, I'm not asking for two tough games. I'm just, I mean, give Michigan credit. They're playing Notre Dame, okay? Give Ohio State credit. They're playing TCU, okay? They're top 15, Mm -hmm. top 20. Notre Dame would be roughly, if not a little bit higher uh, than that. And it's still Notre Dame, okay? Uh, You're still playing, quote, a big-name program. Um, You know, there's some others in the conference that are playing some good to decent non-conference then look at Wisconsin, and they're not the only ones. I think they were, I think in the top ten weakest non-conference, there was, um, I want to say there was one other a team in the Big Ten that's in there, and for the life of me, I'm trying to think. I know Illinois is very weak, but I get that. Lovey Smith's got a bad football program. He needs to win some games. So you try to schedule a bunch of lightweights to make it as, you know, to try to win five or six games, even though I don't think Illinois is capable of doing that. But back to Wisconsin, could just, could just somebody in the athletic department come up with an idea of, hmm, you know what, if we win 10, 11, better yet, 11, 12 games, this non-conference schedule is not going to help them. It's just not. And, you know, it would be a shame. 
if they would get to that point, and then the committee looks at their schedule and goes, oh, my goodness, look who they played. I don't care if they beat them up big time. And then they look at another team that, you know, they're comparing it to, and they play, and I don't know what team this would be, but it could be an SEC team. It could be, I don't know, an ACC team. And they look at it and go, well, okay, everything's about even, but look at the non-conference schedule. All right, we're going to give it to Team X, Y, or Z, rather than in this example, Wisconsin, because they're penalized for their non-conference schedule. Guys, can you look up real quick their non-conference schedule this year? Who are you looking for? Uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Well, I know BYU is their quote-unquote big game. That that's that's the one that they're taking on that at least usually has a pulse. Yeah. Now they were terrible yeah. last year. I know. I mean, if, if it's tight, if it's if Detmer's playing quarterback or Steve Young, if I date myself here, is Steve playing Young's quarterback. Steve Young's playing, yeah. Yeah, or my Jim buddy McMahon. from years ago, now a sportscaster in Houston, Texas, at CBS, Gifford Nielsen was quarterbacking, okay? Yeah. Then uh, you catch my drift, okay? If Lavelle Edwards is still the head coach at BYU, I think you see where I'm going with this. West, hey, Western Kentucky and New Mexico, the other two teams that'll make their way to Camp Randall. Are all three games at Camp Randall or just two of the three? All three of them. All three of them. Ah, come on, Barry. Barry Alvarez. Come on, they Barry. Have, but they have five road games in the Big Ten this year, and when that know, happens, pretty much everybody does this. I know, but, but here's the problem. I think you agree with me, guys. If it comes down to where the difference of getting into the Final Four and one of the factors they look at is not only schedule, and those five are going to help them, there's no doubt. Okay, that the conference schedule is going to help them, but the non-conference schedule is going to hurt them, and they're looking at another team, and again, being redundant here, whomever you fill in the blank, I think you see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. They, they, can't, you can't... You- yeah, Kenny, Kenny, you can't sleep on the Hilltoppers because they just went, they just went out and signed one of the top players in the country. I know, and Jeff Brown's not coaching there anymore, and I, and I get that. And, you know, I remember when they, when they were a major basketball power. Remember Jim McDaniel? Yeah. Remember him? Yes, yeah, Jim McDaniel, yeah. Yeah, he was like a 6'10", 6'11 guy. Um, yep. But sort of a Bob McAdoo or today, and this is not fair because nobody's Kevin Durant, but he was a tall, lanky guy who could shoot from the outside. And back then you didn't yep. see a lot of those guys. And uh, he didn't make it big in the NBA, but he was a really good college player. And he got the Hilltoppers deep in the NCAA tournament uh, one year. I want to say, oh, my goodness, I'm dating myself here. Late 60s, early 70s, sound about right, Jim? I think in the late uh, I think uh, early seventies. I think probably was when yeah he we was have there. to look yes. that up. But uh, man, oh man, I never knew I'd mention his name today. Okay, there's a name from the past. So yeah, I get it, Jim, and I get it, Trent. But I think you see where I'm getting at. Also, oh that yeah, if they're being judged against somebody at eleven and one, twelve and zero, whatever the record may be, and you know, somebody else is, and again, it's difficult, but we don't know what team I'm thinking about, but I think you see where I'm going with this. And somebody has played somewhat of stature in two pretty good clubs, whomever I'm thinking of, then that could hurt them, okay? Again, we're a long way off from that type of scenario, but it's something to, something to ponder. And again, you know, I don't, I just think they need to play somebody um, better than BYU, Western Kentucky, and uh, what the Lobos of uh, uh, the University of New New Mexico. Mexico. 
Here, yeah. Here's the thing that I would argue, because from your outpost it, with Ohio State, Ohio mm-hmm. State is at a different level than really everybody in the Big Ten. They, they have their own tier that they're at. For even Iowa, Wisconsin, programs like that, that have ascended very high and, and been moments away from getting the college football, they have to be perfect, though, to do that. For Iowa, they were 12-0 and in the regular season. They beat Michigan State. Mm-hmm. They're in, but that means going 13-0. That was Wisconsin last year. Had to beat the Buckeyes and go 13-0. And because of that, doesn't it make more sense to lay out a non-conference schedule like this and get to that point as opposed to being 11-1 and really having no shot of getting in with that kind of record? Hmm. Well, it's an interesting thought. Um, Again, I I think it's – and it might be a year-to-year thing, Trent, where maybe – one year it doesn't hurt you, and another year it does hurt you. And I, I think when you're trying to get the four best teams, and it seems like in the early stages of this current format, um, I think the, 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 the shiniest or the best you can look in front of the committee, even though you're not standing in front of them personally, but you're – your record, your your stats, everything from A to Z is staring at them on a laptop, okay? You want nothing to jump out where someone says, singular or plural in that committee, that says, well, you know what, they really didn't play anybody non-conference, and this other team we're looking at is equal to them, but played a better non-conference schedule because they beat so-and-so, and that one game of, let's say, three or four, okay, depending on how many non-conference games they play, and let's say it's three, okay, and they played and beat whomever, that whomever might be the difference. I'm not saying that's going to happen every year, because it probably isn't going to happen every year, but it could happen every other year, every three years, whatever the, the breakdown might be, and you don't want to be Wisconsin in, in that situation where that one game because a team X, Y, or Z is the difference maker of crossing over to the other side, meaning getting into the final four. So I see your point. It's a real good one. Um, I think it's a year-in, year-out thing. I just don't think you want to give the committee an excuse, a reason. And I think if BYU is the best, and obviously it is the best, mm-hmm. of the three on paper – you know, I don't know. Um, it might not hurt them in 18, meaning this season, but it could hurt them in 18. And if it didn't hurt them, it could hurt somebody else who does the same thing in 18 or 19 or 20 and down the road. So why give why give the committee um, a you know a off ramp off the interstate? In so many words, good stuff. Hey Ken, <laughs> as always, good catching up with you. We'll do it again next Thursday. Yeah, NBA draft next Thursday. I know we'll talk a little bit yep. about that, but more importantly, guys, we're a week closer to the season, and that is a good thing. <laughs> That's so, what it's all about. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks, Ken. Ken Silverstein checking in with this. We'll take a quick break. Coming back on the other side, put a cap on things. It's Jimmy B and TC. Back one final time. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. Jimmy B, what do you got tonight? You've been watching the golf all day. You watched a little soccer this morning, or at least the introductions to the soccer. What <laughs> grabs it. your attention this evening? Well, you know, all that's really on is baseball. So I suppose, Trent, that's what I'm going to be 
dialed into when I go and get some dinner and I'm looking at the screens up there. And I don't know. I, Yankees, Tampa, I, I, Boston, Seattle. Actually, that's a pretty good matchup with Seattle being in first place in the AL West, Boston on top in the AL East. Uh, I, I'll probably, you know, take a peek at that. But is Dancing with the Stars on, or is uh, I have not what's the, the other? To ask. What's what's the another one? Um, American Warrior, Ninja Warrior. Is that? A, is there yeah. anything that might be entertaining besides that tonight? Yeah. I don't know. You you got me, yeah. Jimmy B. You got me. I, yeah. This will be a good night. This is when you you told, tell the misses at home or. Or the special person in your life, you get control of the clicker. I'm, I'm going to hand it over to you. <laughs> Build up some equity, Jimmy B. That's that's what it's about tonight. This is an equity night, yeah, unless you're a fan of baseball and you're looking for, for one of those teams. But so much day baseball going on this afternoon. Kind of threw a, a wrench into things. But fun yep. day. U.S. Open, I, I, we, we talked about it just a little bit today. I enjoyed this setup. I Once a year, I want it to be difficult. I want it yeah. to be you know, sometimes unfair, and, and we've seen that plenty of times today. Today, guys, hit good shots, but it doesn't turn out good. I don't want to see it every tournament, but once a year, I'm fine with things being a little unfair. I'm with you on that, and I'm sure it'll be on all the highlight packages tonight, and if you did not see it, you need to see Jason Duffner in a bunker. He flies it out of the bunker, Trent. It hits the, the, the stake hits the flag, and rolls right back to him in the bunker. <laughs> he flies out of the bunker 15 feet away. It hits the stake and comes right back into the bunker. It's an unbelievable shot. I've seen guys hit it. Dustin Johnson pitched in from the bunker earlier today. I, I saw that one, but I've never seen it hit the stake and come right back to where the golfer just hit it out of into that sand trap. It's it's an unbelievable shot. And if you haven't seen it, probably people listening now are in the car driving home and everything, you got to see that one because I've never seen that before. Reminds me of my closest ever hole-in-one, Jimmy B. Hit the stick in the air up in Clear yeah. Lake at the uh, Par 3 course up there. Oak Hills, I believe it was called. Hit it in the air. And it ended up in the sand trap. Just the luck wow. of TC. Wow. Walked away with the bogey on that one and well, looked a little bit better than some of the scorecards we've seen out there at Shinnecock Hills. It's been an ugly day for a lot of the golfers. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about that and a whole lot more. Make sure you listen in. We'll start things up at noon. Myself and Ken Miller, then on your drive home, Jimmy B and TC. Enjoy your night, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow on 1700 KBGG.